As the official healthcare provider of Minnesota United, Alina Health is focused on keeping our loons in top condition. And with expertise in orthopedics, sports medicine, heart care, and more, Alina has the team to keep your family in the game too. The experts at Alina Health take the time to get to know you as a whole person, helping you achieve wellness for your mind, body, and spirit. It's an altogether better kind of healthcare. Learn more at alinahealth.org. and welcome back to another episode of Sound of the Loons. We are recording this on November 13th. I'm pretty sure it's Monday. I feel like every week I'm like, what day is it? Normally we, we do these on Tuesdays. So I have to always double check where I am, what city I'm in, what day it is. I'm sure Paul Tenorio, the senior writer for The Athletic, who's joining me today, feels very much the same way. Am I right, Paul? I think it's a bad time. I had to stop when you said it's Monday and think like, is it Monday? Yeah, it's Monday. Okay, it's Monday. <laughs> That's like I had someone say to me the other day, have a good weekend. I'm like, is it Friday? He's like, yes. I'm like, oh, okay. Yes, yes, yes. Have a good weekend because it kind of all all blurs together. But um, thank you for taking the time to join me. And I, I feel like I introduced you as a senior writer for The Athletic, but at the same time, it feels like it doesn't quite summarize uh, your career, what you've done, what you're doing now, because I feel like that sort of minimizes actually everything that you have going on in your world, especially from a working perspective. If you, I, I say this to athletes all the time, to the soccer guys, like if you had to write your own little blurb, what would it, what would it look like? And you will have to write your own little blurb soon for your for your new book coming out. But what would that look like? Yeah, I don't know. I, that's a good question. I think. Um, well, first of all, thank you. Um, I don't. My job. My job has changed so much. And, and like you said, I think my life is going to change significantly over the next year as I, as I work on this book in tandem with reporting for the athletic. Um, but I always think of myself first and foremost, as kind of like an insider on American soccer. And that can vary from day to day. Like one day it's just writing like purely soccer stuff about the U S men's national team. And the next day I'm digging for information on what's happening in the MLS board of governors meetings. And I'm writing about the business side of soccer. And then the next day I'm like, okay, like MLS playoffs. And, you know, you just try to bounce around between all of that and kind of have your, have a handle on all of it. And then, um, you know, I think for a lot of us are, you know, for me, especially my world got flipped upside down this summer when Messi arrived and, and that kind of turned my job to focus from where I had been over the last year and a half, I felt like more than anything, a U.S. men's national team reporter in the World Cup cycle, all of a sudden I was like pivoting and I felt like I was just a Messi reporter for a while. And now, um, as you said, like now I'm doing this book on the Messi effect and I love it because I think this book, the way I'm thinking of it is a blend of like what I like to think of myself as, which is like I report about soccer and the sporting sides of it. And I report about the business of soccer and kind of all of the things that happen behind the scene scenes that impacts the product that we watch on the field every weekend. Well, and you said, you know, soccer in the United States, but at the same time, even when you're reporting on MLS or the men's national team, 
that doesn't that no longer means soccer just in the United States because of where the players are coming in and out of and how the the nature of this business and this world is and the fact that Major League Soccer has gotten more not that it wasn't international before but it's gotten more and more that way and then when a player like Messi comes to the United States and to Major League Soccer off the heels of winning a World Cup with Argentina then it like just elevates the world of soccer in the United States even that much more. And I mean, you, you've been a reporter for a very long time for different outlets, Washington post. I mean, we can go down the list, right. Or Orlando Sentinel, like other soccer outlets, 442 ESPN. I mean, down the list, right. How has your world changed as a reporter just with social media, with the evolution of this industry of quote unquote journalism? Yeah. I'm chasing on that front. Like I was like, Oh, I got it locked down on Twitter for a while. I was good. And now I'm like, my Instagram presence, not good enough. I don't have a TikTok. Like I've got to like speed up. And that's, I guess I'm, you know, a signal that I'm getting older that I need to like create more of a presence on social media. But you're right. Like when we talk about American soccer, like it's a global discussion now before Messi came, my, my plan for like, what's the next step of growth in my career was to write about the globalization of the sport in the U S and the impact of Americans in the global sport, not just, the players like Tyler Adams and Christian Pulisic and Weston McKenney and Eunice Musa and all these players that have gone overseas to play, but also the owners that are there, American owners, whether you're talking about Todd Boley at Chelsea or you go on down the list to owners of, of smaller clubs. Like last year, you know, this is a story I was, I was starting to work on again before kind of all of the things that happened with Messi. But like last year in England, every single team that got promoted from one division to the next in England, there was a, an American owner represented somewhere among those clubs that were getting promoted, whether it was from League Two to League One or League One to the Championship or Championship to Premier League. And I think that speaks to how much more of an influence Americans have in the sport than than any of us realize. And so, yeah, I mean, there's there's no escaping it. There's no place to stop. Like if I'm not writing a story, you're right. Like you've got to keep your phone in your hand, watching on Twitter, making sure you're not missing something that's happening. I wake up in the morning because I work at the athletic where we have the athletic UK, which is this enormous team in, in based in Europe and mostly in England. But I wake up every morning, my Slack Hardia has like 40 messages from all the things that my colleagues are doing over there. So you're constantly plugged in. You're constantly trying to, um, to show that you're plugged in in some way, and uh, it's the fun part of it. It's also kind of the scary part of it. Like my life, I, I could never leave this job to go to a nine to five because I don't know what that is. Like, I don't know like how I would do it. Um, and and that can be really fun. Like I, you know, sometimes my work day is watching Messi, you know, it play in Miami. Um, and then sometimes it's like, oh, you'd like to have a weekend? Like, um, yeah, that's, that's not going to happen. Like what's a weekend? And oh, by the way, you have a family. Like, Right. I got two right? kids, four and two. You know, they're, they're getting it. They, they, for a while there, I had them on the, Oh, dad, dad, had turned soccer on, on Saturday mornings. So now it's like a battle over who gets the TV. So I'm watching on my phone more than anything nowadays. Yeah. Right. I mean, somebody has got to watch like bubble guppies and like team Umizumi or whatever, you know what I mean? You got to like divide and conquer with the time on the, on the television. So I totally get it. And, and anytime you work in sports, it's 24 seven, there is no such thing as an off season. There is no such thing as an off day. I mean, I remember covering sports, even back when I covered NFL, like nobody was allowed to take a vacation day during the season. It was like, absolutely not. Like it wasn't even a question, you know, you take your vacation days else elsewhere, like, because it, and that was before everything blew up like it is today.
And, um, but I, I, I agree with you in the sense that this is like the fun part of it, but also the challenging part of it when you work in this industry, but yes, like you talk to other people and they're like, wait, you get to do what? You know, like I, I remember I used to cover baseball. They were like, I'm like, buddy, I'm not sitting in the stands with like a beer and a hot dog, like watching a game. You know, it's a lot of time and energy. It's real work. So as awesome and as grateful you are for the job in the gig, it is real work. This isn't like we don't want to minimize what it is that you're doing and the time you're putting in. For sure. But you're right. Like, I mean, for me, I always just remind myself, even when I'm like exhausted, just how cool these opportunities are. And, you know, it's it's the thing I wanted to do since I was a kid. So like, I'm very, I'm like one of those lucky people that kind of like, I knew what I wanted to do when I was like, I remember I, I tell this story a lot, but like I expanded my parents' subscription to the Washington Post when I was a kid, like pretending to be my dad on the phone when they called to ask if we wanted to go to seven days a week from just Sunday. And like I used on a landline. Yeah. On the landline I picked up, I was like, hello, <laughs> you know, like I was my dad when I heard who it was. And I said, yeah, I'll take the seven days a week. And, 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 you know, for me, like my dad cut lawns and parked cars and worked seven days a week. And like, I go to soccer games and write about soccer. So like, I won't trade that. I recognize how lucky I am, but, um, and, and it is so cool. Like, you know, especially to cover soccer now at this point in time, I mean, that's, that's the exciting thing is like, I've, I've done this since 2007. I started at the Washington post in 2007, um, covering soccer there, um, alongside Steve Goff and went back to covering soccer full time. I covered college football for a while, a lot of high school sports. I covered the NFL and, and went back full time to soccer in 2015. And that was like the launch of this new expansion era of, of major league soccer. And so for the last eight years, like I've chronicled the game at this critical, critical moment where we're seeing this incredible amount of growth, whether it's the growth of major league soccer in the league, you see the growth of the NWSL mm. of the lower divisions in American soccer. You see the growth of the national teams and the way that those are changing. It's been so much fun. And then, yeah, now in the, in kind of the, the, the like right now window, you've got Messi coming, of course, but this is during a time when we have the Copa America in 2024, the Club World Cup in 25, the Men's World Cup in 26, potentially the Women's World Cup in 27, the Olympics in 28. I mean, this is unprecedented in American soccer history. And I get to spend my time telling stories about it. It's pretty neat. Yeah, I feel like, I, you know, just before we, I want to ask you one more question about your upcoming book before we move on to the Minnesota United news. But I feel like the fact that you just listed, you know, the 2026 World Cup, the 27 World Cup, possibly for the women. I feel like it's it's a whole other podcast for another day is the fact that we know where the like the next 10 men's World Cups are and we don't even know where the 27. But like that's a whole other podcast for another day. My daughter asked me the other day, she's like, Well, what about the 27? And I'm like, Well, we don't know that one yet. Like, yeah. <laughs> but we've got we've got these other men's world cups nailed down for like the next hundred years. <laughs> yeah, John Johnny will get around to it when he can, you know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, anywho, that like I said, that's a podcast for another day and of course coming off the heels of a what a fantastic weekend for nwsl in the final and heartbreaking for um for megan rapino but so many insane positive storylines coming from that so i want to ask you one more question about your book coming out the messy effect and and sort of like once that came about that he was going to be coming to mls and that news broke and that became official did you instantaneously were you just like I'm going to write a book. This is, this is happening. Like, how did that, how does that come to fruition and, and come to be? Yeah, I think, I think I started thinking about it right away. Certainly my wife would say, I definitely started saying it right away because <laughs> I was gone a lot from home um, around Messi's arrival. And, 
every time I tacked another road trip on, I would say, well, if I do a book, like I kind of have to be there for this moment. And eventually she was like, are you doing a book or are you just using that to like calm me down every time you book another flight? Um, so yeah, it was definitely in my mind. I mean, look again, we, we talk about these transformational moments for me in my career, I was looking for like, yeah, what's the next step? How am I going to grow? How am I going to challenge myself? And you look at when Beckham arrived in, in 2007 and the way that impacted Grant Wall's career, writing the Beckham, uh, yeah. experiment and, and covering that, that phase of the game before Beckham, the, the last time you had a player come like this was, was when Pelé came to the NASL in the seventies. So it doesn't happen all of the time. These moments are generational moments. And I felt like, yeah, like I should think about this as, as a potential way for me to challenge myself. I've never done a book. Um, and then as I got thinking about it, I started having conversations with people around everything going on with what I was reporting with Messi. And they seemed like all kind of like, yeah, this is a book that should be done. This is this transformational moment for American soccer. And it's not just messy. Like I said before, like it's coming at a time where already MLS was being enticed to grow because of these events that are coming to our shores. The the Apple deal certainly has an impact. That's a 10 year deal. And, and so Apple's timeline for growth for MLS is different than maybe the 30 or 40 year timeline that owners can afford to take because, you know, they're buying these teams kind of long-term play, right? Not the short-term. <laughs> Um, so already all these influences were there. And then you have this person who is um, so in incredibly popular and important. Um, and so, yeah, it started to to kind of, I was like, okay, maybe this is something I should do, <clears throat> but it is scary to think about writing a book. Um, and, and eventually I, you know, there were some people that reached out to me to see if I would be interested in doing it. And we've got the process underway. And, and so, yeah, so for the next year of my life is going to be simultaneously doing my job for the athletic and, and reporting and writing out this book. And, you know, people, I saw a couple of comments on social media when we announced like, Oh, it's too soon for you to know what the messy effect is. It's only been a few months. Like, yeah, like I'm not just writing about the first couple months of messy in America, like over the next year, I'll be reporting it and writing it and, and seeing how these things play out both. Yeah. Of course with messy on the field, but hopefully a lot of it off the field and behind the scenes um, to, to, to talk about kind of how this change that I think we will see, especially around the 2026 World Cup happened so that when it does happen, you can kind of read this book and learn about all of the different conversations and moments that led to these potentially potentially big changes. So the book right now we're thinking is like a, a book that'll come out in um, fall of 2025. That's the plan, um, you know, and and it gives me some time to, to report and write out and, and, and keep an eye on kind of all of the things that are happening behind the scenes around Messi. Looking for a way to get closer to your club? For just $25, Loons fans can join the Preserve, Minnesota United's official season ticket waitlist. Waiting usually isn't fun, but this waitlist comes with benefits. Being a member of the Preserve gives you early access to MNUFC single game tickets, partial season plans, and group tickets, as well as special pre-sales for other marquee events that come to Allianz Field. Visit MNUFC.com slash preserve to join. Right. And I think, you know, a huge piece of just you as a reporter is 
as you're digging and, and finding all these things, some things seem obvious, right? But some things not so much. So when in your in your line of work, in your career, and especially now with the breaking news aspect, and like you just broke the Minnesota United news last week, you know, Khalid Al Ahmad, I want to make sure I get that right. And so, you know, even doing the Minnesota United podcast, I'm always like asking Durkee, hey, so what's the pronunciation? You know, and all these different on the players and whatnot. And um, until you hear, sometimes you hear them say the name themselves, you just want to make sure you do it justice and get it right. But For when sure. you broke that news that he was going to be joining Minnesota United, you and Tom Bogart, like, how does that, how does that come about? What was sort of the initial reactions? Like, what is your take on that decision from a sporting side for Minnesota United when you hear, cause you hear breaking news for all sorts of teams. Do you have a personal sort of opinion and feeling on things or you just report? Of course. I, I think, you know, first of all, our job, I think the simplest way to put it is just to have as many conversations as we can have. And I've always looked at it as like build, build relationships, like relationships are um, the life. They, they, that That's what gives my job life. Like if you don't have relationships, you, you're not going to last very long. And I always choose the relationship over the breaking news. And, and whether that's to my detriment sometimes or not, um, I think in the long term, that's the right way to, to go. And so as you have these conversations with people all around the league, um, yeah, you start to hear little bits of news and nuggets here and there. And you start to put pieces together. Oh, you know, Minnesota's looking outside of the league for this hire. It sounds like, oh, okay. And then you start having more conversations like, oh, have you heard any names? And then eventually somebody knows something and, and you get a hold of it. And then you start to make those follow-up calls. And then you're kind of in breaking news mode. It's like, okay, I need to confirm this little nugget and get it out there. Um, in this case, this was a name that wasn't unfamiliar to me. Um, Khaled, what, he was a candidate for a job in MLS, um, a couple years ago, I had learned about him then. And, you know, what I remember from that job interview or that, that, that he was a finalist, um, for that job was that he was very impressive during the process that, that his knowledge of the league was very strong. He obviously, um, has a lot of experience. He was working for city football group as their CONCACAF scout. And at first, of course, that led to player signings for City Football Group. And we've seen different player signings um, pre-NYCFC there. But of course, when NYCFC came along, that job took on even more importance because now you're helping to build a roster. And it's funny, I actually um, was doing a little bit of research on him when I was first kind of looking at this news. And I Googled his name just to kind of refresh my memory. And one of my own stories came up uh, from back in the day where I interviewed Claudio Reyna about putting together the roster with NYCFC. And, and he was a big part of that. So um, I think that's always one thing I look at is can you, if you're coming from outside of the league um, as a hire, do you have knowledge of the league? Do you understand the intricacies of how these rules work? Because that's the trickiest part, like finding good players. You can have a good eye no matter where you work, of course, but there are some aspects of MLS that are just functioned so differently than the rest of the world. And for me, the biggest thing is, um, you get punished way more for your mistakes in Major League Soccer than you do elsewhere. It's a lot harder to get rid of players, and you can't just buy another player to to fix that player because you have a salary budget. So you a lot of times in the rest of the world, if you make a mistake on a midfielder and you paid $2 million for him, I mean, that stinks. You don't want to make $2 million mistakes, but then you just go sign another player at that position and you bench that player, and eventually they don't want to be on the bench anymore, and you move them to another player for to another team in Europe. And that's a lot harder to do in MLS. So the fact that um, that he has experience working within those restrictions, I think is really, really important. That he has experience scouting 
CONCACAF specifically is really, really important, that he understands the value of balancing youth and domestic players with international players is really, really important. And, and I think also for Minnesota United, the way I looked at it, and as I've had conversations, not just when I was working on the news, but since we put the news out there and people were calling me immediately, once you put the news out, by the way, that's the next thing that happens. You get a bunch of calls from other people that are like, Oh, that's interesting. Let's talk about it. Um, the perspective I've gained from that is just like, I think a lot of people felt like, okay, it was clear that Minnesota United made a decision to kind of move in a new direction. And this gives them a chance to, to kind of hit that restart button, hit the reset button, have somebody come in and, and, run the sporting department from a new perspective. And I think that's a really big and important part of this move as well. Is that, okay, like if you're going to make that change, what is that change going to look like? And, and for me, I think this is a really intriguing hire. And I think from everyone I've spoken to around the league right now, the perception is a, a very positive one and that people are really interesting to see, interested to see kind of how Minnesota United now evolves from kind of the first phase of their existence. Well, and especially with the way the world works as far as what the sporting director, chief soccer officer, whatever we want to call these people that are in these roles that now have such an influence and clearly a hand in picking a head coach when that change has been made also. And then the next thing is timeline, right? I mean, he's still under contract technically, to my knowledge, with Barnsley. And yeah. so, you know, there's two things there. One is what does that timeline look like, which I don't know. I'm, I'm assuming Minnesota United is still working on and I don't know what you know about that. And then second of all, the people, the skeptics that may say, well, wait a minute, he was, it was a lower division in, in Europe. Like what, what kind of knowledge can he bring to here? You just said some of his experience, his scouting, his um, knowledge of the league, which is so important because it's so crazy. The, this, the rosters, the salaries, everything, the way MLS functions is very different than anywhere else. So what, what can you take from those aspects? Well, yeah, first of all, I did get a call earlier today with someone asking me, like, do you know when Khaled Alamad starts with uh, Minnesota United or not? Like, I need to know when he's coming in. It sounds like from from what I from my reporting is that those conversations are still ongoing, as Barnsley said, like they want to. And I'm sure he wants to have um, things settled at Barnsley before he leaves. And Barnsley certainly wants to have his replacement in place before he leaves. The January transfer window is not that far off. They want to be able to make sure they're in the right place for that. And Minnesota United, the same thing. They, they need to hire a coach. They need to go through their January transfer window. So it's trying to strike the right balance there. Um, I actually think like coming out of the lower divisions of England does give you a pretty good perspective on building a roster in Major League Soccer, um, especially when you consider the experience at City Football Group. So when it comes to looking for DPs and finding U22 players, like when you're a scout for city football group and you're scouting a region, they don't have a budget. <laughs> so, so you're looking for the guys that like Zach Steffen would have been a DP in MLS as an example, because he was a $10 million transfer fee for, for Manchester city. Eric Palmer Brown would have been a U 22 signing. So he understands how to kind of look for the different levels of talent. And I think when you're working in the lower divisions of England, you have more of a similar budget to major league soccer to a lot of major league soccer teams, not in the overall budget, but if you took DPs out of the equation, it's not that far off from the rest of the budget. Um, and so I think that for me is always like an undervalued part of front office strengths in major league soccer. Signing DPs is important. You can't miss on those. And I'm not trying to downplay that. Like you have to hit on your DPs. U22s for me are kind of an in-between space. I don't want to go too deep into my opinion on U22s, but needless to say, I think they're very high risk propositions that 
typically aren't going to help your team in the year that player comes in. But, we'll, you know, I don't want to spend too much time on it, but I'm a little less worried about U22s. I'm sure owners are a little more worried because it's their money, but from a you know practical perspective. And then you've got TAM players, you, you know, you want to get right. But so much of MLS success, in my opinion, is depth, the rest of the roster. And you see that, especially now when teams are playing 45, 50 games in a season with the League's Cup, with the expanded playoffs, um, with potentially Champions League, all these U.S. Open Cup all these different competitions in addition to all the national team games that are coming in. So the the stronger the depth of your roster, the better off it is. And the teams that have really good, strong homegrown academies typically have it off a little bit easier. As you've seen like Philadelphia, when you're producing in the Academy or Dallas, you have a bit of an advantage because it's building your depth for very cheap. Um, for Minnesota, you have a challenge. And, and I think most MLS teams face this challenge where you have to try to find productive players on the lower end of the roster. And so again, lower divisions of England, I think it's a similar mindset. Where can you find players who are going to help you win games that aren't at the very obvious levels of compensation? And, and so I like that he has a mix of having scouted for a club that has no budget to now scouting for a club that has a very strict budget. And can you blend those talents at Minnesota? And yes, you want to find DPs and you want to find good TAM players. And hopefully you can break the mold and and find the next John Duran that you sell for $20 million. Um, but can you watch MLS and say, okay, and I was just talking to another technical director in MLS about this earlier this morning. Like, can you look at the re-entry draft and at MLS free agency and find a guy who maybe doesn't fit perfectly at his current team or has just entered free agency and you're going to be able to sign for $500,000 that becomes the Griffin Dorsey in Houston and pops for you and, and becomes a really big contributor on a number that's much friendlier. Um, all of that matters in MLS. And that's the fun part of the job. That's why people come from abroad to MLS because one, yes, they think the league is going to grow. And that's the line you hear all the time. But I think there's something about the challenge of putting together a roster under these restrictions that they kind of like. And and any, I think anyone who plays like I play like a ridiculously overcomplicated fantasy football league, like anytime you like do something like that, you you understand that like puzzle piece part is, is the fun part. But is some of it too just you don't know until they're put in place and how it's all going to unfold. I mean, there is yeah. no, it's just like when you bring a player over from another league. I mean, just because they did something somewhere else, because when I think about this and you just mentioned John Duran, it, it's very similar, right? Like, okay. You, so you make a lot of money off of signing, you know, of selling a guy, but what do you do with that money? Right. How do you no, reinvest sure. that? And, you know, Dallas has sort of been ridiculed for quite some time for selling on young players that some didn't even make an impact on the first team before they sold them on. And then you maybe now are bringing in now, granted they made the playoffs and, and whatnot, but you know what I mean? Like it's, yeah. it's, do you feel like um, with his pedigree, his qualities, his history, his resume, that he not only has sort of those scouting tools, but that, that, that sense of, you know, how, what do I do with the money that I am getting for certain players that I sell on, or how do I make the most out of the value of each of those individuals? I think the biggest thing that he's going to have to do when he comes in is set a process. What does his process look like? And that's something we can't know. You you would hope that Minnesota United would know that, that that would be part of the interview process, right? Like, because there's a difference between scouting good players and building a team. You can sign good players that you can sell for money. And you can also scout good players that come in and you don't have a team that fits well together and you're not successful. Like John Duran got sold for $20 million 
the fire haven't made the playoffs in four years under this current regime. Right. So it, it it's not having a good eye for a player doesn't always equate to having a good team. And, and for me, that's, there's a big difference in skill sets there, understanding how the pieces work together. And, the, and, and it starts with the most important task that you're going to have right now in Minnesota, which is hiring the coach. So mm-hmm. do the coach and the sporting director have the same ideas or do, do they understand each other? Like it's more important than ha- do they have the same ideas? If you hire a coach and he says, I want to play a four, three, three, and I want wingers that get to the end lines. And I want midfielders who are athletic and I want my right back to stay home more because I want my right winger to be more dynamic. And I need a left back that you have to understand how all of those pieces fit together and then go find players that fit those profiles. And I think when you look at historic success across the league, those are the teams that do that the best. So when we talk about Garth Lagerwey, why is Garth Lagerwey the best at his at his job historically at RSL, at Seattle, and now what he's trying to build in Atlanta? Because his process is the best. They had a way about going about. I remember doing an interview with him when Seattle and Toronto were playing again for an MLS Cup about both of those teams and how Tim Fezbachenko and Garth thought about building rosters. And when you hear about how much work goes into selecting a player I mean, Garth said, like, my staff would hate me by the time we signed a DP because I required that it was a unanimous decision. And everyone had to go through this process of getting on the same page to say, yes, this is the player we want. And they had a a person in charge of scouting that I thought had the best eye, maybe still of of anyone in MLS at finding players, Chris Henderson. But -hmm. it's like, can you take that skill and then apply it right to the team building portion? And, and so you don't really know that until you have your front office all together. So you're going to need your coach. You're going to need the staff that, that he'll build out once he gets here, all of that. And then once the process is in place, is everyone working together to understand, you know, from the budget all the way down to what we see on the field. And, and that takes time too. Um, you know, you have a little bit of a leg up in that you're walk. Usually you're coming into a team that's you know, I don't think Minnesota United is a total teardown and rebuild. So that that helps a little bit and to speed up the process. But you really, I think for me, it's always about what is the process to build a team, not just can you find me a good player? Can you sign me a DP? A lot of people can do that. Can you can you show me your process of how you think about putting a team together? And how far does that vision go forward? How many seasons are you building the team for? Well, and also, oh, by the way, you already have a roster in place. Yeah. You know, so you're talking about style of play, philosophy, like how you want this this to look on the field. Like you still have, you have some players that are already in, you have a lot of players that are already in that were maybe brought in to play a specific style or a specific way. And if that's not the way that it matches up with, that's part of maybe the the process of not turnover per se, but if you do have a, a very different style or philosophy or look that you want to achieve going forward, then how does that roster turn over over the next few years and how much patience does everybody have during that turnover and that transformational process to get to the winning? I mean, a lot of people now have a very short leash. I mean, we just saw, you know, Montreal one season, right. Hernan Lozada. So I want to ask you that about the coaching search is how much pressure is there then to make the decision quickly on bringing him in from Barnsley, making that officially happen the January, you know, window, we talk about that. But there are so many MLS vacancies, head coaching vacancies heading into 2024. So there is there is there pressure even more so, not just from an internal perspective to make these roster decisions and get going on what your style, philosophy and ideas are, but just purely to find the head coach quicker because there's a lot of teams out there looking for a head coach for next season. 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, it, it, and it depends on where you think you're going to look for a coach. You know, are you are you casting your net globally? Do you want somebody from outside of MLS to come in and coach? Do you want a domestic coach? I mean, I'm even interested in doing a story on the fact that there are some really good coaches in the lower divisions that just don't get looks in Major League Soccer. So, I, yeah, I, I think, of course, you the speed at which you um, make this hire is going to be important. And the speed at which you get this front office together in Minnesota working together is really important because not only do we have the January window, but before that, you've got the things I mentioned before. You've got the super draft. You've got free agency. You've got the reentry draft. These can be really important pieces of building out a team. And to your point, you have a lot of a roster built already. So it's not like it's an expansion roster where all of these things matter to the highest, highest degree. But yeah, the sooner you get everyone in place, the better, because then you can start to execute that, that process and that vision. And just lastly, on my, on my questions for this hire from Minnesota United is where, where does this put that Minnesota United in your eyes? I mean, I get it. It's, he's not done this role in MLS per se before, but what, what does this do for this club in this moment? How does it elevate where they were or where they ended 2022 to where they might be heading into, I mean, excuse me, 2023, where they might be heading into 2024. Yeah. Well, I think there's a lot to, a lot that needs to be answered to, to know that. I think a big, I think the hope is like, okay, our expectation is we've been a team that's been making the playoffs consistently, obviously just missed the playoffs this year, but we want to now be a team that's contending every year. So that, that's that got to be the hope with this change. Otherwise, why make the change, right? So the, the expectation is, okay, we've made this change. You know, are we going to go add some DPs? Are we going to go add some pieces that take us to that next level? And I think anytime there's change in sports, you know, that's the aim. That's the hope that you, that you are pushing now that it's, that it's ambition that's causing these changes. It's not always ambition, but the hope is that it leads to some person, some, some idea, something that gets sparked, whether it's a new voice in the locker room as a coach, whether it's a new vision in the sporting department as the CSO, that's gotta be the hope. So I think for Minnesota United, we know that they can be right there in the pack. We know that they can be fighting, you know, in the playoffs, fighting for a home seat. We've seen them do that. You know, the question is, can they now go to that next place up? Can they be what Philadelphia has become the last few years in the East where you start thinking, okay, can they win an MLS cup? And and that's got to be the goal. That's got to be the aim. And I lied. I actually have one more. We've been talking about all these soccer types of questions with the hire. What have you heard from a personality culture standpoint? Because it is such an important piece now in every sporting league across the globe. People talk about culture and just the vibe, the energy, the personality. What have you heard from that standpoint about this individual? But I'll, I'm in. Yeah, not not as much, but what I've heard is he's a really good guy. I've heard from multiple people that, that know him well, that have worked with him, that he's a great guy. They really like him. I think one of my favorite parts of this hire is that he has ties to the Midwest, the American Midwest. It's like, how perfect is that for Minnesota United? Like you have this person who's like, Okay, like check in the box, like City Football Group, CONCACAF Scout for City Football Group, like Barnsley CEO. Oh, also he played soccer at UW Milwaukee, like which wait, is what? where Manny Lagos played. Like it's just so I funny mean, to me that you right? have that connection. Like <laughs> it's so like it just shows that. Uh, and I think it for a club like Minnesota United that matters. Like they they like to have that that feeling of of a local connection. So that part of it I really like. I hope to get to know him. Uh, better as he once he arrives to, to get a chance to speak with him but yeah for, like i said i mean honestly the conversations i've had since um since the announcement was made have, have been positive that people really liked him people thought were very have been very impressed by him uh in, in different interview processes that i know about and 
And so now it's a matter of, of kind of watching and waiting to see what he's able to do in Minnesota. Awesome. Well, thank you, Paul. I appreciate you taking the time. Um, I know when I, when I've talked to Tom before, he literally has to like put his phone in a drawer sometimes like to get, to get away from it all. So I appreciate you taking 30, 37, 35 minutes with me today uh, out of your busy schedule and everybody keep an eye out. I mean, what are, is it just Paul Tenorio on Twitter? Yep. Just at Paul Tenorio on Twitter, Paul Tenorio soccer on Instagram. And uh, yeah, you can find me, find me there. And soon I'm sure I'll have a TikTok, but not today. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man. I don't know how your wife's going to feel about that unless you're like kids contribute to it. Maybe, but I, it's, it's a crazy enough world as is. Don't, don't feel beholden to the social media, right? Yeah. I won't be dancing on TikTok, but maybe I'll, I'll have to do it for book talk. We'll see. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Speaking of book, Messy Effect coming out, hopefully 2025, right? Is the hope yep. we are yep. telling anyways, heading into the 2026 World Cup. And I'm sure between now and then all sorts of stuff will be happening with Messi and what he does in this league and, and elsewhere. So thank you so much for taking the time, Paul. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. All right, everybody, stay tuned for another episode of Sound of the Loons presented by Alina Health. We will have another episode, hopefully, for you next week. We can try to catch up with CEO Sherry Ballard about the hire as well. If I don't talk to you then, uh, have a happy holidays. What is it, Thanksgiving? Is that next week already? Holy smokes. Holy smokes. All right, awesome. Thanks, everybody. Tune in next week.